Before I get started, I would like to put to rest a rumor which I um, started. There is no truth to the rumor that Pastor Ben saw these lessons today and decided that this would be a good Sunday to take off. (laughs) But I wouldn't have blamed him. A while back, Disney did a movie version of the book Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day, which is, as far as I understand, not a remake of the book of Job. But it could be. I mean, that's a pretty good title for this section that we had that Mary read today. But this section is chapter two, mostly. We read a little bit of chapter one, and then we skipped over the rest of chapter one and read chapter two, because that's what's in the lectionary. And I want to go back a bit, because this is not the only bad day that Job has had. In the book of Job, Job will have three different plagues that are visited on him. I'm going to go back to the first chapter of Job because just after the part that Mary read, again in that chapter, Satan, whose name literally means the accuser, walks into the throne room of God with the other angels and God says, have you seen Job? Isn't he great? And Satan says, yeah, sure. But you've given him everything, you've protected him, you built a fence around him. If you take that away and you allow me to take away the things that you've given him, he will curse your name. And God says, okay. And so in the mother of all terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days, Job gets the news from four different servants, four different messengers, and they come one Right after the other, as soon as one is finished talking, the other one brings more bad news. And the first one says, your oxen were in the field and your donkeys nearby and raiders came and took them all away and killed all your servants and I alone survived. And the second one says, your sheep were in the field and fire came down from heaven and killed them all and all your servants and I alone survived. And the third one says, all of your camels were in the field and a different raiding party came and took all of them away and killed all of your servants and I alone survived. And a fourth one comes and says, your children were in the house together. They were having a party. A strong wind blew and blew the house down and I alone survived. And in that course of time, roughly as long as it took me to tell that story, Job, who was a very rich man, lost everything. He's got four servants he can't afford to pay, so let's assume that they left. He's got his health and nothing else. And Job does not do what Satan accused that he would do. He does not curse the name of God. Job says instead, the Lord has given, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And that is the introduction to what Mary read today. When Satan comes back into the throne room of God and God says, Have you seen Job? Isn't he great? And what does Satan say? Satan says, yeah, but he's got his health. And God gives Satan permission to take that away, but not to kill him. Just as in the first one, he allowed him to take away all the stuff, but not to hurt him. 
And so we find Job in that chapter with that second plague, that plague of sores from the top of his head to the soles of his feet. He is covered with oozing, itchy sores, and he is sitting on an ash heap, scratching himself with a piece of broken pottery. And his wife turns to him and says, why don't you curse God and die? But he does not, as we read in the lesson today. But that is two of the plagues. That's the first two chapters of Job. Job is 42 chapters long. The next 25 chapters are the third plague that is visited on Job, and it's a plague of friends, which is an odd thing to say, because when we have a difficult time, friends can be a comfort to us. Friends can wrap their arms around us, especially if we don't have a a Bethel quilt. Friends can be a source of, of strength. But then there's Job's friends. Job has four friends who look at this situation And they draw the natural conclusion. They say to Job, dude, God must really hate you. Why don't you fess up to whatever it is you did that pissed off God so much that all of this stuff happened? And they argue with Job for literally 25 chapters. We will not read that in the lectionary. We skip over that section in the lectionary. But he has this this plague of friends, this friends that are absolutely positively sure they know what happened and they know whose fault it is, and they're also absolutely positively wrong. But who could blame them? That's what it looks like. Now, fortunately, we wouldn't possibly ever be friends like that, right? Right? We've never spent all our time worrying about whose fault it is. Although I am reminded that Jesus is talking about divorce in the New Testament. And if you ever want to unleash a plague of friends that want to figure out whose fault it is, divorce is a pretty good way to do it. Because we all really want to know whose fault it is. Even if we, like Job's friends, don't have a vision into the throne room of God. It might not be our place and we might not know everything but we do have a tendency to act as they did. And the throne room of God is an odd thing. Let's put a pin in that for a second and say, isn't this a strange story in the Bible? Because there are elsewhere in the Bible that we see into the throne room of God, but in every other place that I can think of, it is told as first-person narrative. The particular prophet is brought up in a vision into the throne room of God and he sees such and such. And it's always told as first-person narrative. The only time I can think of in the Bible that it's told in this third-person omniscient story is the book of Job, where it doesn't say who is relating this. It's not Job. Job never gets to find out about this in the story of Job. 42 chapters later, Job doesn't know what happened. And so some have said that this may actually be an allegory. Job may not be a historic person, that this is a strange story. It's told somewhat out of time. There's no time frame given for Job. Job isn't, you know, during the time period of the reign of Hezekiah or something like that, like so many other things happen. Job isn't given a time frame. And the the land of Uz, the word literally means counsel or words. And so is this perhaps an allegory? I do not know. But there certainly have been people throughout time who have related to Job 
who have had terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days and have felt kinship with Job. But I do want to get back here to this New Testament lesson here because Jesus is talking about divorce and it feels to me like he's making marriage harder. I don't know if anybody else had that perspective. And Jonah's here, so I have to say I'm a big fan of marriage. <laughs> Huge fan. But marriage can be hard at times, right? You make promises at the beginning of for better or worse, for richer, for poorer. There's a reason we do that. I'm reminded of the joke about the guy who's at the, the cocktail party and someone comes up to him, a stranger, and says, oh, how long have you and your wife been married? And he says, my wife and I have been happily married for 37 years. And his wife looks at him and punches him in the arm and says, we've been married for 40 years. And he says, yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> we had a friend who said, if you want to find out how, how selfish you are, get married. It won't fix it, but you'll have someone to tell you. That friend is no longer married. Um, Marriage can be tough, and it feels like Jesus is making it tougher. And, and he is, because divorce in his time period especially, and especially for men, had become very easy. That you could marry a woman, spend through her dowry, which is what we'd had at that time period, and divorce her because she burnt dinner or for no reason at all, and give her a certificate and send her on her way, penniless, alone, and powerless. And Jesus is addressing that situation in particular, but he's also doing something else. When Jesus talks about the law in the New Testament, he sometimes makes it a little easier than they're doing, and he sometimes makes it a little harder. I think of when he talks about the Sabbath law, he says the Sabbath is made for man and not man for the Sabbath. And he's interpreting that law to understand that some of the things that you're going through and dealing with, all of the rules you put on are too onerous. But at other times, he says, you know, divorce is adultery. He says, if you hate your brother, you're committing murder. If you say you look at a woman with lust in your eyes, you're committing adultery. He makes it harder. And I think the way to look at that is he's giving us a little glimpse of the things that God cares about. And what you will find, I challenge you, is that pretty much when God is talking about the things he cares about, as we heard a bit in the children's message today, that God cares about people and God cares about relationships. And so, yes, he says, this is why God put marriage together. It was intended that it last. It was a promise to God. But God cares about relationships and the restoring of relationships, especially in the Bible, everywhere from Genesis 2 to the end of Revelation. So if that's what we learn from the New Testament, let's go back and look at Job again, because what do we learn from this difficult story of Job? The one thing we have to say is we learn in the story of Job that, yes, bad things do happen to good people. Job's friends are wrong. Job didn't cause this problem. And it's tempting for us to say, if bad things happen to good people, either God is not powerful enough to stop it or God doesn't care enough to do anything about it. And the story of Job says both of those are false. God will put limits on what Satan can and cannot do. And God is the one who started this whole conversation about, have you considered my servant Job? Isn't he great? God loves Job. But God allows Job to be 
tested. God allows Job to go through this variable, very bad time, this terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Because when God talks about Job, God talks about Job's faith. And the faith is that key to the relationship between God and Job. And faith and that relationship are more important to God than all of those other things that may or may not have been important to Job. But I don't want to leave Job with our last word on terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days. I want to look at what Jesus has to say about them. Because later on in the Gospel of John in chapter 16, Jesus says, in this world you will have tribulation. Now, a lot of newer translations will use the word trouble, and that is a weak word and a poor translation of the word that is used in the Greek. The Greek word literally means to to press or to crush. And King James uses tribulation, and that's a great Old uh, New Testament, first century Roman word. So a little context here. When you are in the first century and you're eating, you're mostly eating bread, and the way you get bread is you grow wheat, and then you, the first thing you do is you thresh it. Okay? Do you remember anybody been threshing? You take, the, you take the grain and you need to separate it from the chaff, the outer husk. And the way they would do it is they would spread it on the threshing floor. And they would drag over it a heavy threshing sledge that would crush the grain and break open the, the husk so that it would blow away. The name of that heavy Roman threshing sledge is a tribulum, from which we get the word tribulation. So when Jesus says, in this world you will have tribulation, in this world you will feel crushed or pressed, in this world at times it will be crushing. It's a little little more than in this world you will have troubles. In this world, you will have terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He then says in John 16, but be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. Because Jesus is part of that long game of God, that plan of God that started back here in Genesis 2 with the fall and ends in Revelation where God is restoring us to him, especially through that terrible, horrible, no good day that Jesus spent on the cross. And we're looking forward to a day when his kingdom comes and Satan the accuser is silenced and those terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days and weeks and months and years are a distant memory. Lord Jesus, your kingdom come. Amen. Hello, my name's Rachel Carmen, and I want to invite you to come over and listen to my podcast. It's called Real Refreshment. For years and years as a young mother, I chased after the wind, thinking that the world could offer me the refreshment I longed for. But it was only when I discovered it in the person of Jesus Christ that I really found refreshment. Come on over and join me as we dig into Bible study. I'll see you there.